Psalm 37, and the Bible reading is verse 7. Verse 7. Uh, in fact, actually, it's not even the whole of verse 7. <laughs> it's just verse 7a. That's what we call it. Verse 7a. Any Queenslanders present? That means the first half of verse 37. Not that I agree that it's verse 37. Only the Queenslanders understand that joke. So I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and I'll be reading from the New, New Living Translation uh, for the whole of the message. Um, but uh, yeah, once again, welcome if you've just joined in. Um, uh, Ian McGill is my name, and we're uh, part of the Hopeful Packenham Church and the Sylvan Wesleyan Methodist Church, which is where we are at at the moment, um, hosting this uh, service. And it's so good to have you with us, and we pray that you would be blessed, and that this would be a time where you can um, relax and know that God is with you. So in uh, Psalm 37 and verse 7, in the New Living Translation, it says, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. I'll read it again. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. I don't know what that verse does for you. It probably does one of two things. It, it, it reassures your heart or it causes you to feel a little bit frustrated. But hopefully at the end of the, the sermon, the day, it would uh, really reassure your heart. Because, um, you know, there's some doers in our world, in our midst. There might be some doers in your family right now and they just can't sit still. They just love to do. They just have to do something. And they're pulling their hair out, and once they've finished with their own hair, they start pulling others' hair out. And uh, sometimes the house can be a little bit, you know, unpeaceful because of these doers. And uh, I'm not naming anyone in our family because I like to be alive. But you know the people in your family, they're doers, and they just hate to sit still. They just can't do it. And in fact, you tell someone that they need to be still, and you know, that wonderful verse from, uh, was it Psalm 40, 46, verse 10, be still and know that I'm God. Yeah, we know that. But being still, let's do it spiritually instead of physically, because I like doing stuff. Um, but I don't know if you've ever gone for a bushwalk before. Anyone ever gone for a bushwalk before and you just sort of found a place to sit on your own and just sit? or uh, and, and you just sit there for a while and you stay as still as you can and don't make a noise. And slowly but surely, the rainforest or the bush around you starts coming back to life again and birds just start flying around silently as if you weren't there. It's the same with uh, going to the beach. You know, I remember walking around uh, on the rock pools uh, before all of this uh, social isolation came in with uh, a couple of my boys and we were walking around the rock pools and uh, I, I told them if they just stand still, they might see some fish. And sure enough, they stood still and the fish obviously thought that their feet were rocks and you know that no one got their feet nibbled but we certainly got to see some fish moving because the boys were still enough to uh, to see that happen you know and I think sometimes especially in this in this season is that um, the people that find it hard to be still uh, are finding themselves in a place where they have to be still or they're forced into a place to be still I don't know but what I wanted to share with you briefly this morning was, or this, tonight, is uh, just, I guess, how to be still and what it means and why, why it's good. 
And uh, there's just a few scriptures that the Lord's really been challenging me with because I, I've been known to be a fidgeter all through my life. I gen generally don't sit still very well, but sometimes I can find a place where I can focus so long that I can sit still and I can be still. And I've learned through life that being still means that you get to experience things like in the, in the rainforest or in the bush or at the beach. You know, if you're still, you can actually experience things a bit more. And uh, when I'm still with the Lord, I get to experience him a bit more as well. And you probably found the same as well. But turn your attention to Psalm 37, verse 7. And the psalmist writes, it's David, by the way, King David. He probably had ADHD, I'm not sure, but he tended to do a lot of things. He was a very active man. And so he would have understood what it meant to learn to be still in the presence of God. But where he says, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act, he's not just telling us that because it's a good thing. He's telling us that because he's learned that himself. You know, and the words that he uses in the, in the, Hebrew, in the Hebrew original text, the words for be still, I just wanted to, I guess, and to, and to wait patiently, I just wanted to highlight just something out of that that we might learn from. But it actually means to uh, quieten yourself to quieten yourself, to have some self-discipline to quieten yourself. You know, sometimes I remember as a child growing up and people telling me to be quiet because I was too noisy or I'd talk too much, you know, and people would say things like, children should be seen and not heard. I don't know if there's any other people in the room that have heard that before, spoken to them as a child, but um, this word that he says to be still means to be silent, to quieten yourself, to actually... Um, quieten yourself. You know, my phone has, and your phone probably still has, I don't think it, they've taken it off of the phones yet, but it's got this, this mode called aeroplane mode. It does, it uses it. And more than that, you know, you can actually turn your mobile phones off. Does anyone know that you can actually turn it off? So when you go to bed at night, you can actually turn it off, like off. And it will come back on again because it's got a battery in it. This is what it means. It's actually just quieting yourself. Make, make it quiet yourself. Go to your room, Jesus says, and pray to your Father in secret. Go to that secret place. You have to go there. You have to make time. You have to... Maybe it, maybe it is meaning to go for a walk in the bush where no one else is and then just sit for a while and just not say anything for at least 10 minutes. I know that's difficult for some people, but this is what David's saying. He says, be still in the presence of the Lord. And I guess what he's, what he's meaning by that is that, you know, when we are still, we come to a realization, a thicker, more substantial realization of God's presence. I know when I'm busy, I don't realize God's presence. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. When I'm busy concentrating on doing things or driving the car, or, you know, it's, it's harder to realize God's presence. And you know, when the apostle says that we should be praying without ceasing, you know, when Paul says that, pray without ceasing, he, that's what he means. Just have a, a greater awareness of God on a continual basis. And it's actually possible to do that. It just takes self-discipline. And it takes a self-awareness. And it takes time to do that and so David writes be still in the presence 
of the Lord. It's not that, it's not that when you're still, then God is present. You see, he's present everywhere. It's just when, we're, when we still ourselves, we recognize his presence. And you can still yourself in a busy place. You can still yourself at a concert. I mean, not now, but you can still yourself, you know, in your kitchen. I know stories of John Wesley's mum, Susanna Wesley, would just put the apron over her head and she had like a hundred kids and they knew when that apron was over her head, we ain't messing with mum. She made a place. She quietened herself. She went to her room and um, spent time in his presence. But then David doesn't just stop there. He says, and wait patiently for him to act. Now, this is the, this is, this is the frustrating verse for a lot of the doers, the, the people that don't like to wait. I haven't been praying for patience for a long time because I know, I know what, it ha- what happens is that I, I find myself in predicaments where I have to be patient and train my patient muscles. But this word, the wait patiently word, it actually, to wait is like, um, I don't know if it really means to wait as in time wait, so much as it means to serve wait. But um, I looked it up in that this Hebrew word, it actually, it's such a massive word. It can mean so many different things. And, and I don't know if you've ever been in a waiting room at a hospital. I went to a hospital recently and uh, just had to sit in the waiting room. And uh, I don't like waiting. And you're probably in a waiting room right now. Your home probably feels like a, a waiting room and you're just itching to get out into normal again, just itching to get out into society, into life. It's like I remember hearing someone just recently say, I miss people. And I just want to be with people. And so you might just be waiting for that to happen. And it's awkward. It's, it's frustrating and it's uneasy. There's tension in the air because you have to wait. Did anyone find that silence awkward just then? Waiting for me to say something? Well, you, you, I'm speaking to you. Waiting is not your thing. But this is the word in the Hebrew, it, to wait patiently, can also mean to twist and whirl in a circular or spiral manner. What? To twist and whirl in a circular or spiral manner. I want you to turn with me, if you have your Bibles, or if you've got your... Um, Bibles on your phone, don't turn because that's just going to see the back of your phone. Flick to Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17. Verse 17 of Zephaniah chapter 3. It's, uh, Zephaniah is one of those small little prophetic books that uh, find it really difficult in your paper versions to find, but everyone on their phone is like there already. And I want to read from verse... Um, Oh yeah, verse 17. Let's do 17. For the Lord your God is living among you. Isn't it good to know that today? He is a mighty saviour. Isn't it good to know that today? He will, he will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all of your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. You know, we've been praising the Lord with songs, with joyful songs, you know, just declaring his goodness and the truths of who he is. And all the while, God has been rejoicing over you with joyful songs. And you know this word rejoice, where it says that he will rejoice over you with joyful songs? That word rejoice is the same word for this, to twist and to whirl in a circular manner. 
Now, I'm not going to do it because um, I'm waiting on some hip surgery. Not a hip replacement, but some hip surgery. But it actually means to, to leap in the air and twirl. Now, I don't know about you, but um, it's, it took me a while to picture God like that. You know, I grew up, no offense to the way I grew up, but I grew up from society's view of God as this, this old grandfather with a big beard that's just waiting for me to do something wrong. You know, this stern, this stern God that's, you know, with a lightning bolt in his hand waiting for me to stuff up so he can go, you're wrong. That's not what this is saying. This is saying that God loves to dance. God is rejoicing. You know, he's, he's spinning and twirling. He's rejoicing over you and over me. He's so happy with us. He's so happy with us, you know. And that's the word there where, where David says, wait patiently for him to act. You know, the best thing to do when you're waiting, if you're ever in that place where you're kind of waiting for God to come through with an answer, you know, like he's promised so many things in your life and you're just waiting in that place. It's called the waiting room or the corridor or the hallway, whatever you want to call it, where there's doors. You know, God opens doors to different situations and chapters of our lives, but sometimes all the doors are shut and it's just like this hallway. Well, here's something to do. Just run up and down the hallway, spinning and twirling in the air, dancing before the Lord and praising him. What? Why would David... Why would David tell us to wait patiently for him to act like that? I don't know if David's actually saying for us to dance in this particular verse, but maybe he is. David was a dancer. He would do the same thing. He danced and whirled before the Lord just the same way. Praising in those waiting times and being still in his presence are the two greatest things that you could ever do. You know, Jesus, when he was asked by one guy what the, what the best commandments were, what the greatest commandments were, Jesus just gave two things. Love God with everything you've got, basically. This is the Ian version. Love God with everything that you have got and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, that's all we should be doing right now as the church. And I love it. I love the sense that at the moment, with, with all of the facilities shut down, we, we have to do church differently and we come to this realization of what's really, really important. You know, the programs, well, they can take a bit of a back seat or they can be done a little bit differently. But what's really important is that we love God with everything that we've got and we love our neighbors as ourselves. You know, that's what really is important. And, and so loving God, just worshiping him and, and recognizing his presence in the midst of the frustrating waiting period. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. And uh, I wonder, does someone have the message version in here on their phones? That'd be great, Jono, if uh, maybe you could just read it out from there. Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. This is Jesus, Jesus speaking to people. Uh, and, and these people, all the crowds were following the religious leaders, thinking that they could work their way to God, thinking that they could work through religious practices, God's approval. You know? And so Jesus comes at them with these words from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. If you've got it in your Bibles, it's the message uh, version. Thanks, Jono. Are you tired? 
worn out, burnt out on, on religion. Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Thanks, Jono. Did you get that? It's good. Just to get away with Jesus. Get away with him. Make time. You know, make, go to that place where it's just you and him. Get away with me, says Jesus. Walk with me, says Jesus. Work with me. In other words, everywhere you go, recognize I am with you, says Jesus. Recognize me with you. And he says, watch me. Watch me. Now, I know uh, when Jesus shared the, um, the Sermon on the Mount, one of the, one of the uh, Beatitudes was, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, a pure heart is, is a heart that's got no fractions in it. It's a whole heart. It's not like this bit here, I'm focused on that part of my life. This bit here, I'm focused on that part of my life. And Jesus, you can have half. It's not about that. It's about the whole being for Jesus, right? So blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In other words, if you can go to work and recognize God working at your work, great. If you can talk to your neighbors and, and see that God is actually working in your neighbor's home before you get there, you see God working. You, you actually see him working. You recognize him. And so Jesus says, walk with me, work with me, and watch me. Watch what I'm doing. See, God is moving. God is working in your streets. And, and many of us are realizing that now. Many of us are seeing that God is actually working in, the, in people's lives in people that don't even know about Jesus. He's actually working in their lives and he's connecting the dots, so to speak, and he's using people that are just ordinary, real people like us to, to reach into their lives and to, 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 to help them to find this wonderful God who wants us to walk in his unforced rhythms of grace. Learn from me, Jesus says, the unforced rhythms of grace. Give up. On self-righteousness. In other words, don't don't do what all of those religious leaders are doing, says Jesus. They're, they're working towards God. They're never going to make it because God requires us to be perfect. We can't be perfect apart from belief in Jesus Christ. So he says, Jesus says, give up on self-righteousness and receive grace. Receive grace. Isaiah chapter 64, uh, if you can turn there. Isaiah chapter 64 and um, verse 6 tells us that all of the good things that we can actually do, you know, they actually don't mean anything to God. All the good things that we can do for God to make, it, make him happy with us, they actually don't work. In verse 6 of, of Isaiah 64, he says, um, God says, we're all, in, uh, Isaiah says, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. You know, that's, that's pretty serious. But there's so many people out, out in our world, and, and I've been guilty of it too, where we've, we've thought that all of our good deeds make God happy with us more. Like we can make God love us more by doing more good things for him, as if he's that kind of God. But he's not. It says in verse 4 of the very same chapter in Isaiah, it says, For since the, the world began... No ear has heard and no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. 
Now, here we are again waiting for God. Waiting for God. And who's doing the work? God is. No, I have seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. You see, the world will tell us that we need to work for God to be happy with us. There's lots of people out there working hard for their God to be happy with them. It's been all the way through history. And all of a sudden, we get to realize that there's this God who works for us while we wait. God can work while you wait. <laughs> the best way to illustrate this is in a passage in John 4. I know we're flicking around a lot of Bible today, but um, it's good stuff. And in John chapter 4, we've, there's, this, there's this scene where Jesus meets up with a woman from Samaria. And this is, this is really, uh, this is a scandal for a, a Jewish man to meet up with a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman, uh, and alone at a well. You know, Jesus gets to this well and the woman gets to the well. At the same time, there's this divine encounter between the both of them. And, um, and the woman comes to the well for water. And there's Jesus sitting on the well. And let me take you to John chapter 4. In verse 7, it says, <clears throat> Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So it's a scandal. And so she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And Jesus, re Jesus replied in verse 13, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Here's this woman, she comes to the well with her own bucket in midday because she's got a reputation in her town and all the other women aren't going to be out. And so she gets to the bucket, she gets to the well and she works hard. This well, it's Jacob's well, it would have been 30, 30 meters deep at least. And so she'd have to work hard to get one bucket of water and then she'd pour it into wherever she needs it. And then she'd get another bucket of water and put, and again and again and again, she'd work hard and work hard to get this water that sustains life, right? And, and here's Jesus sitting on top of the, of the well in, in a nonchalant kind of way saying, if you knew the gift of God and who I am, you'd ask me for water. And she looks at him and goes, you don't have a bucket. The point is that Jesus is a well, that Jesus is a bucket, so to speak. You know, and I see people every day going to their wells, taking their buckets with them, you know, going for those job applications and, and with their buckets and, and, and filling them up with a career and then realizing that that career really doesn't satisfy or, or going to the nightclubs and, and trying to find love and with their buckets and, and filling them up and then realizing that that doesn't really satisfy. 
You know, this woman, she would bring the water, the bucket to the well, take the water home, and then what? Next day, she'd be back again with another bucket. Back and forth, back and forth. And it's like that old Rolling Stones song, I can't get no satisfaction. You know, I've been there. Every single person has a hole in their heart that's just shaped for God's Holy Spirit. And we try and fill it with all kinds of other things and it never satisfies. We take our buckets to here and there and we work hard and we try and please God or we try and, you know, there's religious people out there with their buckets trying to fill it up and it's never going to satisfy. Praying the right way, doing the right things, it's never going to satisfy. And Jesus says, I will give you living water. You see, she was coming for life-giving water. But Jesus says, I'll give you living water. You know, there's a difference between the two. We just pour water, life-giving water, on our plants. We have taps in our homes. Isn't it amazing that we can just turn a tap and there's water? It's fantastic. If we didn't have water, we'd die. Give it two or three days without water in your body, you would die. But we've got water to drink. But we have to keep drinking that water because it's, it's not living. It's life-giving. Jesus says, if you come to me, I will give you living water. Jesus doesn't need a bucket because he is a well. He is a well. In fact, the only one who will satisfy your soul with his living water. His living water. Jesus says on another account, on another occasion, if you uh, come to me, I will give you this living water and from you, drink from me, drink from me and from you will overflow rivers of living water. You know, we just come to Jesus and just have one drink and God fills us so much that we overflow the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about. And so Jesus says to this woman at the well, stop working so hard. You don't have to work so hard. I know you've been taught to work so hard, but you don't have to work so hard. You just need to come to me. You know, I think in this space and this time and this season, we can be working so hard and we can try and do things to, uh, I guess, distract us from how we're feeling or uh, what we think we need. You know, and, and God just wants us to come to him. Now, there might be lots of things on your list to do at home or at work or with the family or whatever, but the most important thing that you and I can do is actually just be still and wait for the Lord to act. But what's achieved by that? Well, it just means that God is able to satisfy you. God is able to satisfy you. No one can satisfy themselves. You know, our church here in Pakenham, is our, our motto is real people getting real with a real God. You know, it's not, no pretense, no false pretense, no fakeness. We just want to be real people. We make mistakes and that's okay. We just embrace the failure and know that God loves us and he's with us. It doesn't change our circumstances. Waiting and, 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 and being still doesn't change our circumstances necessarily, but it does change our perspective. And uh, Jesus says, you know, if we come to him and, and, uh, and walk with him and work with him and watch him, then he will give us life freely and lightly. He will learn to live freely and lightly. And we'll never, uh, we'll recover. So we'll recover our life, our own life. You know, it's, it's such a wonderful privilege that we have as Christians to know that we have a God who actually works for us. And 
what he wants us to do is not work for him, but it's actually just to sit at his feet and be still and be patient and wait for him. You know, Jesus said the work, the work that God requires of us is just to believe, to believe in the one that he sent. And before we finish off with uh, this, uh, more worship, um, we'll get um, Naomi back up again soon as well. But before we do that, I, I wanted to read to you from Psalm 23. And hopefully as we read it, it gives you another perspective of Psalm 23. You know, he's our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. You know, this is a very popular psalm. Most of the people in Australia probably have heard it before. But it speaks about a God who actually works for us. Here it is. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honour to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I'll not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honour me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much that you prepare a feast for us in the presence of our enemies. Well, we could think of our enemies right now. We think of this virus. We might think of pressure in a relationship or pressure in our finances or the enemy of depression or anxiety or fear or anger or despair for the future or the, the enemy of hopelessness. And Lord, we just thank you so much that while all these enemies are around us, that you are a God who serves us. You prepare a table. You prepare a feast for us. You, you give us all that we need. And you honour us by anointing our heads with oil. You, you give yourself to us. You give your Holy Spirit to us. And you are with us. And our cup overflows. You see, it's so good that you give us your Holy Spirit so that we can actually pass on his power and love and his joy and his patience and his kindness and his faithfulness and his peace to those around us. And we thank you, God, that you're a God who works on our behalf so that all we can do is sit at your feet and be still in your presence and wait patiently for you to act. And we thank you that we can trust you to do this in your perfect timing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.